Rojbaş, this is the Kurdish edition podcast and I'm your host Sardar Saadi. Hello everyone, this is the fourth episode of the Kurdish edition podcast. For this episode, I sat down with Professor Abbas Veli during his uh, recent visit to Toronto to talk about his upcoming book, The Forgotten Years of Kurdish Nationalism in Iran. As the title of the book says, this book investigates the forgotten years of uh, Kurdish nationalism in Iran from the fall of the Kurdish Republic in Mahabad in 1947 to the advent of the Iranian Revolution in 1979. It sheds light not only on the historical specificity of the phenomenon of nationalism in exile, but also on the political processes and uh, practices defining the development of Kurdish nationalism in the post-revolutionary era. Uh, For many reasons, as we discussed that in detail in the interview, little is known about these three decades of Kurdish nationalism in exile between these two events. And this is another reason that makes this book uh, uh, truly groundbreaking. This book will be published by uh, Paul Grave Macmillan, part of... uh, Minorities in West Asia and North Africa book series that is edited by Kamran Matin and Paolo Magiolini. A little bit about uh, Professor Veli. Abbas Veli is former chair of Modern Social and Political Thought at the Department of Sociology at uh, Boğaziçi University in Istanbul, Turkey. He is the author and uh, editor of a number of books and articles on Kurdish nationalism and identity and political history of uh, Iran. You can find some of his writings on his page on Academia website. Here is my interview with Professor Abbas Veli. So, Professor Veli, uh, welcome to the Kurdish Edition podcast. Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. Uh, and. Uh, for the first question, I want to start with this uh, uh, very basic uh, question uh, of how uh, the idea and the necessity of writing uh, such a book emerged. This book is part of a uh, wider project, which is uh, a political theoretical study of uh, the formation and development of uh, Kurdish nationalist politics. Mm -hmm. As I have explained uh, in uh, the introduction, I believe Kurdish nationalism is uh, a modern phenomenon in Iran. It It starts in the 20th century and it's continuing now. And I also in, as I have explained in, introduc- in the introduction, I believe that the idea of nation and national identity must be studied at the level of nationalist politics, not separate from there. So uh, this is a project that I have entertained, I have had uh, in mind. And, uh, but to write a uh, A study of Kurdish nationalism, its formation, development, and the structure, and so on, in one book would have been impossible. Mm -hmm. It would have been a very large book, and large books usually these days do not get 
published. And also, it would have been uh, a project which had, you know, would have taken a long time to do. So, I decided to break this, you know, to project into three parts. Right. You um, see, yes, and uh, I call it the trilogy of uh, Kurdish nationalism in Iran. Which the first part? The first part, which I have, I published in 2011, and that is called The Kurds and the State in Iran, the making of uh, Kurdish national identity. That was published then, and this, which looks at the genesis and the structure of Kurdish national identity and Kurdish politics, uh, Kurdish uh, nationalism, Kurdish nationalist politics, uh, from uh, <coughs> roughly from uh, the start of uh, modern state in Iran, which is uh, you know constitutional revolution, up to uh, the collapse of the rise and fall of the Kurdish Republic in Iran. That is from 1905 to 1946. That was the first book, part of the first part of the trilogy. The second part of trilogy, which is the book we are discussing, is uh, you know continuing the study, uh, and from uh, 1947 okay. until 1979, which is basically from the fall of the Kurdish Republic until the Iranian revolutionary rupture and the Iranian revolution of 1979. So the third part will be from, uh, it will continue and hopefully end this, uh, you know, study. And that will be from the sort of Iranian revolution to the present, to the present. And you call this uh, that second book that is about yes. to be uh, published by uh, Paul Grave Macmillan, yes. The Forgotten Years of Kurdish Nationalism in Iran. Yes. Why this title? Why The Forgotten Years? The Forgotten Years, I think it's an apt title because uh, this uh, very crucial period of Iranian, uh, you know, crucial period of <coughs> Kurdish politics in Iran has uh, not been studied or very, no, I wouldn't even say is understudied. It is actually not been studied properly. We don't have a book or series of articles. In so far as I know, there are some parts, general parts in David McDowell's book or in uh, Wadi Juwaida's book. Mm -hmm. These are very general part of it, even if it is a part of a chapter. So, you know, a part of a chapter covering three decades and uh, so on. And uh, this <coughs> also concerns not only European languages, but also in Kurdish and Persian as well. Okay. There are, for instance, studies which looks at a particular phenomenon or particular event in this particular, in this specific period. But there is not a particular study say that this is the objective of my study to explain this. Uh, and is there a reason for that? Like why? Uh, 
I think because uh, this period largely been uh, Kurdish politics has been underground, you mm -hmm. know, and that the protagonists of the Kurdish politics uh, have been in exile. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is very little really in terms of, uh, <coughs> you know, existing analysis and exist existing evidence. So, so as I have explained in the preface to the book, uh, we have uh, two sources, if you like, for the study of this uh, period. One is the, you know, usually is uh, memoirs, utterances, and uh, writings of uh, those who actively took part in, uh, you know, right. uh, is, uh, but then, you know, they survived the events and so on. And uh, then there is, you know, this is an, an often ha appears in terms of autobiographies, right. you know, like, uh, you know, autobiography for a long, you know, several volumes of writing of uh, Mr. Kareem Hassani, uh, who covers the entire period, but it is, you know, in term autobiographical, you know, right. and uh, that is, uh, you know, intensely subjective, right. you know, sense. And, uh, and then uh, we have uh, <coughs> documents scattered, never systematic, of related to specific events or, you know, congresses, you know, and uh, conferences, congresses, plenums of the parties and acts, so on and so forth. And uh, those are, of course, very ideological, right. you know. So, uh, there is no independent, and uh, <coughs> if you like, uh, I don't want to use this term objective, I don't like, but no. if you like, there are not uh, systematic uh, theoretical political approach to the study of the period. And I have tried to do that. And I have, uh, uh, I know that those that time was uh, some sort of mysterious time for uh, people, young yes. people in Mahabad, yes. like for example for myself, and I know that my dad was partially involved, but it remained mysterious. Uh, and when it comes to these memoirs, uh, I recently read uh, some part of Teshti Mijev by Hajar, where yeah. he talks about that, and he was obviously, he belonged to Barzani's wing, yes. which we will talk about in a bit. But yeah, I kind of totally agreed about the subjectiveness of this memoir. Uh, so just in terms of that, uh, how you collected the material for this book, uh, you also mentioned uh, uh, you have done a lot of interviews. Exactly. I think they are, they are, <coughs> they are the most invaluable sources. For instance, uh, when I was planning this long study at that time, there was no idea of the trilogy, you know, just it was a long study, but then I came to realize that it's going to be impossible, it's going to be a long, large, long book, and I have to break it to, you know, and uh, <coughs> to sections. And I'll say why they have different names and so on, you know. Okay. Uh, then <coughs> when I was uh, sort of, uh, you know, planning those things, I was also planning, you know, carrying out uh, interviews whenever possible. For instance, I have 
several interviews with Qasimlu. Uh, you know, first time I, you know, in Paris, and then uh, a few times, a couple of times when he came to London, you know, and uh, sort of again, you know, in Paris. Yeah. So, and I had interviews, uh, uh, long interviews with uh, Muhammad Amin Siraji. I had long interviews with Kareem Hassami. I had uh, some interviews uh, with members, well, I would say probably the retired members of the KDPI who didn't it's Kurdistan like, Democratic Party of Yes, yeah. who didn't wish to be interviewed. No, no, who, who wanted to remain anonymous. Right. You okay. see? Yeah. Yes. And uh, <clears throat> there were also people uh, who were formerly member of the party but now political activists, like for instance, my uh, very good friend uh, Hassan Qazi, who has an immense, I would say, encyclopedic knowledge of uh, the internal developments of Kurdish nationalist politics in Iran. And he has always been, and in fact, in all Kurdistan, but in Iran in particular. But uh, <coughs> I have uh, used, uh, you know, his, if you like, uh, command of detail right. in many ways. Uh, the last thing was that really when I, I uh, was writing the last draft of the book, I checked many dates with him, I checked many sources with him, and he was always, you know, very selflessly really, and uh, readily and selflessly responded to my, uh, you know, requests and uh, gave me the, you know, did the checking and sort of, right. or at times provided sort of sources. Which, yeah, of course, like yeah. Hassan Qazi, yes, he yes. actually, Hassan Qazi, he also so, did uh, <coughs> There were a couple of other people in, in Komala who actually did the same thing with me. I mean, they, they provided, for instance, tapes of the the famous Congress where the Komala split and became the Communist Party of Iran. And, uh, but they, they, they don't want to be, they, uh, they specifically said that we give you these sources, but we don't want to be mentioned. Right. You know? it's, a, it's a very contentious uh, yes. uh, history. Uh, that's right. And writing um, about that must be very... Yes, uh, I have, uh, I have uh, for instance, you know, I, I have in footnotes, I've said that, you know, I am grateful to, you know, X, you know, the the initials, you know, for giving me the tapes or giving me this document or, you know, uh, allowing me to hold a very detailed discussion of, you know, this and that, you know. And uh, this, this was, of course, uh, in a sense, uh, you know, when talking about Komala, we ha I had also sort of a methodological problem here because the period from uh, sort of 19, uh, from 1947 to 79, a period which Komala was not present no. in the in the political field and, yes. you know, ideological field. So in many ways, when I have said that, because they come about afterwards, for instance, I've said that 
here I have to, you know, fast forward the analysis right. and talk about coma. And then, you know, then subsequently after I've talked to several people inside, I've come up with the, you know, difficulty that uh, there is a, a serious disagreement as to when this organization actually was formed and uh, when it was formed, what was it called and subsequently how the name was. But then these were mostly dealt with in footnotes. As I have said, this, what I have written, is not a work of history. It's not historiography. It's polit theoretical political analysis, trying to sort of look at structures, relations, processes, mm -hmm. and uh, rather than sort of, it, it is not chronological. Uh, you know, it's history. Right. I, I would mm, uh, really want to come uh, back to this uh, mm -hmm. discussion of theory. Yeah. Uh, but uh, first, uh, like about the subject of this book, I uh, I wanna uh, ask you about the main protagonists of uh, these years in the Kurdish nationalist movement. We uh, I think we basically talk about the Kurdistan Democratic Party of Iran yes. in this period. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the main protagonist, the main actor before 1979, uh, particularly in exile was, uh, you know, the Kurdish Democratic Party of Iran. And uh, it was the party also, you know, should be credited with uh, the idea of reviving the movement mm -hmm. after uh, the fall of the republic. But also, the I have tried to explain the reasons why it went under the influence of the two the party right you see and uh, <coughs> so, so you do mention this kind of uh, separation this not separation but two lines two tendencies one representing kind of an ethnic nationalist kurdish nationalist that in iraqi kurdistan Mullah yeah. mustafa barzani was leading yes. and the other one this marxist uh, Marxist socialists, yes, national, yeah, nationalists, yes. Who believed in the right of self-determination for the Kurds and uh, was uh, hugely influenced by the Tuda yes, party, yes. which was a party uh, also kind of in, uh, yes. in some by sort the of way, connection. I mean, as I have mentioned in the book, that uh, what is, you know, probably not, you know, sort of... Uh, uh, paid attention by uh, contemporary historians as a, to the party actually it was in only 1964 that accepted the rights of self-determination right. before that it hadn't accepted it you know throughout the in fact it had serious problems both with uh, you know uh, Azerbaijan uh, you know uh, uh, Republic and uh, even if the uh, Soviet Union uh, supported the uh, the uh, Kurdish Republic in Mahabad and yes, the Republic in Azerbaijan. Yes, yes, yes. It had because this <coughs> very important because I, I, as I have said in the book, I think uh, to the party is despite the fact that it had a representation from uh, Armenians and Assyrians and uh, it was uh, and also from Azeris and uh, also from the Kurds. But it was a fundamentally a, uh, you know, a, uh, a 
Persian organization. Right. Yes, it was. It was really it was. Persian here. I mean, not Iranian, but Farsi organization. Farsi. Yes. So uh, <coughs> back to the uh, the these protagonists. Uh, um, so we have this main political party, but we have different people uh, who are representing different tendency, different lines of politics. Mm. Uh, can we th- talk a little bit about them? Like uh, I can mention Ahmed Tawfiq, uh, Mala yes, Awara, yes, <coughs> uh, After the collapse of the republic, uh, the very, there was very little on the ground, really. But there were some people who picked up, you know, the pieces and tried to, and they were mostly young generation, mm-hmm. you know. And if you read, for instance, memoirs of uh, Hisami and Mamagani, Balurian, and uh, some other people who talk about, uh, you know, those, uh, um, you get conflicting things, but what, uh, conflicting sort of uh, views. But what they all share is that there was very little in the gr- on the ground and they had to be restructured, you know, mm-hmm. And those, uh, you know, it started with, for instance, things like Comité Lawan, you know, some Karebi Sami says Comité Lawani Communist or things like that. Which would be the Communist Youth Committee. And uh, <coughs> but what is, is significant is that by 1951-2, when the elections for Majlis was there, that uh, bulk of the revived organization of uh, the KDPI was under the dominance of the two the party. You mm-hmm. see, and uh, in fact, the two the party, the KDPI, supported the. Uh, the uh, candidate of the two the party for uh, Majlis, which was uh, mm-hmm. uh, Sadiq Laziri. And from uh, Mahab- from Sanandaj or Mahab- he, I think he, he, he is not from Sanandaj. I, c- I don't actually know which part of Kurdistan. Okay. But he is. Uh, he was uh, Sadiq Laziri, and this was is interesting that. To know that uh, that Qasim Lu first time apparently came to to Mahabad mm-hmm. as a member of the two the party and, and when is as it as like as roughly? It's nineteen fifty one. Yes, and came as a member of the two the party, and as uh, the organizer of campaign Sadiq uh, Sadiq uh, Waziri's campaign. Qasim Lu. Qasim Lu. Wow. Yes. Yes. He came to to Mahabad. and at that time, to the party had uh, you know and uh, had really taken over the the, the KDPM. And if you read, uh, for instance, memoirs of uh, the main actors of that time, like Hisami, like Bulurian, and some other people, like or talk to Siraji, and they would all confirm this. And uh, but. When some of them try to basically put it at necessity of the time because they had to revive, they like that is the position of uh, Hisami, you see. Mm-hmm. And but Mamagani, for instance, says that 
we, you know, they went towards to the party because they realized that they were theoretically very weak, mm -hmm. and they wanted uh, support and guidance. But I, when I, when I read that part in uh, uh, Mamagani's uh, uh, memoir, I, I couldn't help but, you know, laugh because I remembered something quite it that when uh, which is something that I read I had read in. Uh, in uh, the memoirs of uh, Nuruddin Kianuri, right. you see, Nuruddin Kianuri was the leader of, of the, the yes, two the, the chairman of the to the party, you know, uh, before it was it was smashed by the Islamic regime. Uh, in that memoirs, I think it's probably the last parts of last page or last two pages or something like that big book. Uh, the the no, it's not the prosecutor. It is uh, what's it called? It the uh, Baju, the per, uh, yes, yes, the uh, investigator. No, it's not investigator. It's it's a name. interrogator. Interrogator. Yes, yes. the interrogator is uh, asking him that. Did you really all know Marxism well? Uh, and uh, asking Ghanil Blurian. No, no, asking uh, Kianuri. Kianuri. Okay. But Ghani Brurian said that we went to, to, to the party because we were theoretically weak, we were going to learn from them. And then uh, the interrogator, you know, 30 years afterwards, huh. after that, asks, uh, you know, 35 years after that, asking uh, Kianuri, did you really know Marxism well? Kianuri says, no, but Tabari knew. <laughs> 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 so this is I remember that that's, uh, I that that Persian saying that get up get rahmat right he <laughs> <laughs> was uh, he went to learn from people who, who subsequently after thirty well, years confessed poor. that they didn't know <laughs> anyway so this was the story uh, they went went to and uh, but despite the dominance of the two the party. Mm -hmm. There was always a nationalist grouping okay. inside the KDP, which was not powerful. Inside the KDP or today? KDP, okay. the KDP. They were ethnic nationalists mm -hmm. and uh, were not happy at all with the dominance of the, to the party and the directions that it was taking, you see. And the chief figure among them was uh, Abdullah Ishaqi. Ahmad Tawfiq. Ahmad Tawfiq, you see. And uh, when, uh, after, uh, the important event here was uh, not only just for Kurdistan, but uh, for uh, Iran as a whole, was uh, the August uh, 1953 coup d'etat. Against Mossad. Yeah. Yes. What happened is that to the party was hit after that, you know, right. and that hitting meant that, uh, you know, the to the party had to go go underground, and some left Iran, and some you know were arrested, you know, so on and so forth. But the the linkage between to the party and KDPI became slightly loose, mm -hmm. looser, you know. And uh, this was the time that the, the 
the ethnic nationalists inside the KDPI found the opportunity to consolidate their position. Although, and what was the role of Barzani that he was like? That will comes after. Okay. Yes, so it wasn't at this one. At that time, was in the Soviet Union. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know that comes after. You know, sort of. Uh, um, yes, but the coup d'état has also had one very important consequences consequence for entire Iran, but in this case in Kurdistan I'm discussing, is that it made it very clear to the foreign backers of the monarchy in Iran. Mm -hmm. They reinstate, helped to reinstate monarchy, you know. And uh, after the two, there's uh, military organization, you know, a year or so after that, a year and a half or so, I was found, which was discovered, and the officers were arrested, and so on and so forth. Uh, the foreign backers of monarchy in Iran, and also some of the figure in, figures inside the security apparatuses in Iran, realized that how, uh, if you like, unprofessional, disorganized, unstructured, uh, structured the security apparatuses of the regime were. Mm -hmm. Because at that time, the most, uh, there were, there was Shahrabani, which, uh, you know, the police the force, gendarmerie. the gendarmerie, which was the rural police, and there was also, more importantly, the chief apparatus of security was uh, Rokhnedo in, right. in the army, which is the second, second uh, column. column in the army. And, uh, you know, after coup d'etat, it was shown that these were not really modern apparatuses of security. Mm -hmm. And this thinking, with the help of the foreign backers of the monarchist regime, led to the creation of Savak in 1957. Okay. You see? Right. And yes. And the creation of Savak, it was not just, uh, you know, establishment of a new organization. But uh, if we talk in Foucauldian terms, you know, it means that it was the beginning of rationalization of repression in Iran. Right. You see, centralization and rationalization. Of, by rationalization, I mean there was an, a new approach to repression in terms of means to ends, which, uh, you know, operated according to a new matrix of rationality which was how to use means to get maximum results. And in this relationship, Savak became an organization which started applying new techniques of repression. Right, and many uh, prisons, including yes, yes. In prison yes. for the Savak. And uh, the result of this, in so far in, as, as uh, the Kurdish region, is, in Iran and Kurdistan is concerned, uh, showed up, the results showed itself in 1959, where uh, they revived and secret organization of the KDPI in 
Iranian Kurdistan was massively hit. And many were, I mean, I don't remember how many, but in the book I have mentioned that uh, they were uh, basically arrested and so on. So some ran away. Mm -hmm. And that running away in 1959 also coincided, uh, you know, they all, majority of them who ran away went to Iraqi Kurdistan. But this date, if you like, is coincided with another event. And that event uh, was in July, yeah, Kudita in Iran, in Iraq, which uh, meant uh, the return of Barzani to Iraqi Kurdistan. And it was Abdul Karim Qasim. Yes, right. Abdul Karim Qasim, uh, you know, Barzani came back, uh, formed the pact with Qasim, which was of course very short-lived, and. Uh, it was during this period that Ahmad Tawfiq had consolidated himself as the leader of, uh, you know, the Kurds in exile, you know, in, uh, sorry, the KDP in exile. And uh, Ahmad Tawfiq was uh, a, uh, the best actually is a protege of Barzani. A, uh, and uh, Barzani supported him, financed him, armed him, and so on and so forth, but used him as well, right. you know. And uh, this was the time that the upshot of this clearly came up in uh, the Second Congress of uh, the KDG. Which is in 1964. In 1964, that, uh, you know, ethnic nationalists had consolidated themselves in the party, and they began uh, you know, m either marginalizing or even expelling uh, the known uh, Marxist nationalists of, uh, among them. The most important of those who were expelled at that time were Qasimlu. Qasimlu was expelled? Yes, okay. Qasimlu was expelled from the party. Salah Muhtadi was expelled from the party. And uh, these were the two main uh, two figures. And uh, at that time, the um, Ahmed Tawfiq, uh, on the one hand, he had a kind of a double policy. On the one hand, you know, was repressing these and, uh, you know, sort of marginalizing, expelling them. On the other hand, it is taking up a quite a a radical posture in order to not to lose ground in the party so uh, the other radical elements in the party would not be leaving the party mm -hmm. and so on and so forth and uh, the most important uh, if you like indication of Ahmed Tawfiq's uh, uh, you know two-pronged policy so to speak was uh, the inclusion of armed struggle in uh, uh, armed struggle for the destruction of the Iranian regime in the program of the KDPR in the Second Congress. Although that armed struggle never actually carried out by okay. them, but it created a problem inside the party because now uh, the radical elements such as uh, Suleiman Mohini, 
you know, and uh, no, they they come slightly, you know, later. later. And uh, yeah, that he also comes later, but it's actually Suleiman Mu'ini and Muhammad Amin Siraji, Siraji, and so on. These uh, start sort of becoming, uh, you know, a critical center against Ahmad Tawfiq's leadership inside the party. And they uh, form uh, the Revolutionary Committee of the KDPI inside the party. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, and uh, at the time they were trying to, it seems that they were trying to link up with the Marxist socialists elements outside the party and outside the, uh, sorry, outside the Iraqi Kurdistan. And of course, uh, uh, maybe outside party, those who have left or expelled from the party. And chief among them here was uh, Qasimlu. You see, it, we have at that time uh, in, uh, you know, in 66, that Qasimlu and uh, the then Secretary General of the Tudor Party, Dr. Uh, uh, Reza Radmanesh, uh, they come to Iraqi Kurdistan. And uh, they come to Iraqi Kurdistan, and uh, there is a meeting uh, between the two. But here, again, there is a, uh, if you like, an error. And it, often this meeting is called the Qasimlu Rad Manish meeting. This is not correct. This is not true. Qasimlu and Rad Manish both were representatives of the Tudor party. And uh, the, from the Revolutionary Committee of the KDP, it was uh, Suleyman Moini and Muhammad Amin Siraji. And uh, I, I don't see there was somebody else, I can't remember now. And they go to Baghdad and they meet, you see. And this meeting, which is falsely, wrongly called Qasim Lurad Manish sort of agreement or pact or what have you. It was an agreement between the Revolutionary Part, uh, Committee of the KDP and, uh, you know, out, and to the, the, to the party and, and outside Qasim. them, yeah. Because Qasim Lu in Europe was kind of working with the to the party with their publications. Uh, yes, Qasim Lu, in my opinion, uh, until 1971, two was a two-member. Right. Yes. Right. And uh, Karim Hissami was also working. Uh, Ali Galavish. Yes, uh, they were all working. Yes. Now, this the basis of this uh, agreement between the Revolutionary Committee of uh, the the KDPI and uh, the and. Uh, and Qasim Lurad Manish in Baghdad, the basis of it was uh, uh, the acceptance of armed struggle, right. you know, for and uh, waging, you know, sort of military action against. Uh, and was there uh, any military action in 1967? No, no. Something and happened. And it was, it was, but this meeting was made possible at that time because of the warm relationships between the Soviet Union and Baghdad government. Right. 
and that's why actually an ele element such as Radmanish and uh, you know and uh, and Qasim could travel to Baghdad and take part in such a meeting. But what happened is that on the way back from that meeting, uh, Suleiman Maini was uh, going towards uh, Iranian border, you know, and to meet with his comrades or so on there. And he was intercepted that way by Barzani forces on the order of uh, Mullah Mustafa Barzani and uh, very likely with instigation of Ahmed Tawfiq and uh, he was arrested, he was taken to headquarters of Barzani and then he clearly was uh, uh, summarily you know, executed there and his body was uh, given back to the Iranian government. Where they showed uh, yes. his body, they displayed yes. his body. Now this last part clearly was, uh, if you like, a, a, an action fundamentally related to uh, Mullah Mustafa's own relationship with Shah. Shah. And uh, this was clearly a big, uh, if you like, present to the Shah because Suleiman Waini was a known figure. He was uh, an active uh, nationalist right. and uh, to have his uh, prior, his body, you know, uh, sort of uh, given back to the Iranian regime by a Kurdish leader was a great propaganda coup. Right. In And they, they uh, sort of showed the body around in, in town and so on and so forth and made the point that, uh, you know, that the security apparatuses of Iran can reach. And uh, yes. yeah, uh, it's very interesting that uh, I, I know that the book is about the Kurdish nationalism in Iran, but at the same time there was also uh, the Kurdistan Democratic Party in, in Turkey yeah. with this uh, Said Kırmızıgül, Dr. Şuan, yes. who was also similar thing happened, yeah, yes. similar thing happened yes. and but he was uh, executed at by least, Barzani. Uh, you know, there was I mean, a few years ago there was some very there was a very good film about mm -hmm. the incidents, you know, Dr. the Shuan. documentary. Yeah. Yes, and then there was some other studies, you know. But in the case of Iran, really, with the exception of one study whose name you know, I mentioned, and uh, I owe that particular uh, reference to Hassan Qazi, who gave me that reference. Other than that, there are no, if you like, uh, sort of uh, references to this particular instant, in the is incident. Uh, but it had uh, and a very When was it exactly Suleiman Maini's execution? And uh, it was in '66. '66. Yes. Yes. So yes. the uh, the in it your was book a you mentioned it was a before the Armstrong. The Armstrong. Yes. That you uh, mentioned that it's, uh, it was premature and uh, very short. Yes. Yes. And who uh, who were uh, behind this uh, armed struggle? Considering that Barzani had a good relationship with Shah. Yes, I think it all. I think I, I, I agree with uh, with sort of comments uh, by, by I would say those comments are by Qasimlu because uh, it was in 
the year in the short period approaching the third congress of the party in 1973 and uh, in also during the congress when they were looking at this event and of course before that party has also responded the general the general uh, view is that this was a premature mm -hmm. move but uh, also the i think it is correct to say that it was premature and it was forced because they were forced into crossing borders and going to Iranian Kurdistan and starting this armed struggle because they found no, you know, uh, no way of continuing, uh, you know, uh, living in Iraqi mm -hmm. Kurdistan. I think they were forced, their mm -hmm. hands were forced, they were by by the Iraqi KDP, which was in this respect, uh, you know, the, uh, was Barzani in this event. And also here another incident, which I book in my book I have referred to is, uh, you know, remembering we are talking about 1966 and the split within inside the Iraqi KDP, and uh, when the form and this and separation of Ibrahim uh, uh, Ahmed and uh, Jalal Talabani from and the formation of a new political force and uh, so on and so forth. This uh, uh, was important in two ways. On the one hand, it emboldened emboldened the the elements who carried out the armed struggle in Iran, like. Uh, clearly Mohini, Sharif Zada and so on, and subsequently Mullah and so on. They were emboldened, they were encouraged. But on the other hand, this very event also made Barzani a lot more nervous. And he tried to nip it in the bud, and nip it in the bud was to force them to cross the border and uh, you know, face uh, the, you know, the massive power of Iranian uh, army at that time, yeah. I want to talk a little bit uh, about uh, what you mentioned in the book as the dialectic relationship or dialectic of resistance and domination. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and in one of these uh, techniques of domination, you mentioned the politics of exclusion by inclusion. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to talk a little bit what you mean by uh, uh, this exclusion by inclusion in the context yes, you of see, this in, dialect? In the introduction, I've said that I am uh, trying to, uh, in this book, I've tried to, you know, provide, uh, you know, to, to use the genealogical you know approach and in this uh, to to this study and genealogical approach is uh, is very unlike uh, historicism you don't look for uh, origins you see you basically look at uh, the structures of domination and uh, you know how uh, they work and 
So what I have done here, and structural divination in ascending order, it's coming from below rising up, you know, not descending, because uh, historicism always descends, and it's retrospective projection always. But we are not talking about historicism, we're talking about completely different method. And in this, when I say structures of domination, my idea is that uh, when I say in the introduction, I believe ethnicity, nation, these are uh, political constructs. Mm -hmm. And these constructs are basically constructed by power and power relationships. And uh, ethnicity in Iran a Kurdish ethnicity in Iran, as it's in our, in Turkey and in in uh, in uh, Iraq, Iraq and in Syria, always becomes a you know a factor in the political calculation when it is targeted by power. Mm -hmm. Before that, it is not. I mean, ethnicity before that in Iran in nineteenth century, uh, it didn't have any political you know. So, for instance the same Kurdish language, you know, it was no political, uh, you know, uh, of no political significance whether you wrote in Kurdish or Turkish, you wrote in Kurdish or Persian, Kurdish or Arabic, it all became, you know, part and parcel of a set of strategic calculations of power in relation to the constitution of uh, creation of the nation state, right? Now, in Iran, too, you know, the nation state brought about a new form of domination. And new form of domination did require, you know, a, the, what is called uh, <coughs> the, you know, the, 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 it's called the theory of the imminence in, in that respect, uh, that uh, a ruled and ruler governed and governed you know, a dominated and the dominated and the dominator must have the same identity in that respect. You know, nation, and you're using yeah. the Luzian kind of yeah, eminence yeah, here. Yes, so here nation state really wanted that. So the consequence we see that in 1935, Kurdish language, Azeri language, other, you know, what they called at that time, language of uh, non-sovereign communities that came about, they were all suppressed. Mm -hmm. We became sort of uh, suddenly encountering a sovereign language, official language, sovereign identity, sovereign ethnicity, and then we have non-sovereign dominated languages, ethnicities, and so on and so forth. Right? Now my argument is this, that it is the beginning of that new mode of domination associated with the nation state in Iran under Reza Shah. And this is all done in a wider context of a politics of uh, authoritarian modernization yeah. under Reza Shah, you see. Reza Shah is doing that. Now, I must say that, you know, uh, for instance, if Reza Shah is attacking Kurdish language or Azeri language, you know, and giving focus and primacy to Persian language and so on. There is, in his calculations, 
It has little to do with the perception of nationalism. It is all to do with the requirements of a state, a centralized state, right. you see? So that's why I'm in, in the last chapter of my previous book, the conclusion I, I called it the Kurds and the reasons of the state. Right. These are the reasons of the modern state, you see? So what, what this comes about is that this domination, language, ethnicity, identity, elements of Kurdish, these are targeted and suppressed. They become political factors. They enter political calculations of the dominant force, domineering force, and political calculations of the dominated. Here we have the development of a nexus, of a dialectics, of a domination which tries to kind of yeah, create this unified and, uh, entity. And, and resistance to that domination. This is the structure of nationalist discourse and practice. But the nexus of this is always grounded in violence. This is a dialectic of violence. The one, this one was suppress, the other one resists suppression. The other one, the, this one denies, the, the, the Kurds want recognition. You see, this one, if you like, wants to uh, if diversify. You like, uh, yes, it wants to exclude. They want to be coming included in so. So this, uh, you know, this relationship of uh, domination and resistance is uh, regulated by this violence. This violence is in the nexus of his dialectic. So our argument is that, in so far as there is this dialectic this violence is going to persist and if you want to get that violence uh, you know uh, removed you have to eliminate the basis of that part you know that antagonistic relationship you can do that by reducing that uh, you know uh, that that uh, antagonism that contradiction to difference but if you do that, which is, you know, antagonism is exclusive. It is not negotiable. You, either you or me, my life is your this, your this is my life. This is a dialectical antagonism, you see. And we, what comes out of it always presupposes the, 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 uh, the destruction of one or the other part, you see which synthesis is always a consequence of a destruction, right. you see. But uh, if you could reduce it to a difference, then the, you know, you will have, instead of, uh, you know, antagonism, you will have agonism. And the agonism will be a basis for negotiation, for recognition, for uh, go moving forward. doesn't mean that the fundamental uh, cause of disagreements will disappear. But there will be a possibility for negotiation and finding solution outside. Which was know, not so. created yes. in that time. Now coming back to this uh, thing is that, uh, you know, you are, this is what I call dialectic, as I explained it. But and this is the core of yes. your trilogy, I would Abs assume. Yes, it is. This, this is continuing. This is continuing in, in, in Turkey as well, you see. I'll come back to this. What is very important when I'm saying that the di there is a dialectics of uh, 
recognition and denial, resistance and domination, <coughs> domination suppression and uh, resistance, which is very important. The important point here is this, that domination and subordination are internal to each other, you see, yeah. and their agencies, which is the state and the Kurdish community, and the forces which represent Kurdish community are also internal to each other, because in they have in this dialectical relationships, right. they are not, it would be fundamentally wrong to believe that a state, the Kurdish state, the, sorry, the Persian state, or the Turkish state, or the uh, Syrian state, are external to Kurdish identity and Kurdish politics. This is, in my opinion, the fundamental mistake of uh, this democratic confederalism. And we, show, we saw the manifestation of, very costly manifestation of this error in the war of trenches in southeast Turkey. Mm -hmm. You see? Mm -hmm. And uh, if this theory is working in, in, uh, in Rojava, this is because the structure of domination has exploded. There's rupture. There is no longer, there is no longer Erdogan. There is no longer uh, Khamenei. Assad and the structure of domination has exploded. And by structural yeah, and domination, you I can, can say it's yes. related to violence and the yes, need yes, yes. of making So violence. when there is a rupture, the, you can you can see that this you know this this can work you know in a sense. But if the structure of domination has not been ruptured, this interiority it creates problem. If you ignore it, you will have to pay for it in high price. You see, so they come back to the point that in the uh, when the uh, some of the opposition like even Iranian opposition now, or after the revolution in Iran, they come and say that, okay, you know, we're all Democrat, Democrats, you know, and uh, we have democratic mentality, come on, we create a state and we have a democratic constitution, and in democratic constitution, we recognize ethnic difference, like saying that, yes, we say in Iran, there are ethnic communities, Kurds, Azeris, you know, Baluchis, Arabs, Turkmen's, and so on. That's all very well, okay? Now, that means that we have been included in the legal process. But does that mean that we have also been included in the political process? No, it doesn't. Right. You see, so if the inclusion is always a legal, a legal, is only a legal measure, which says like the Iranian constitution now, in, uh, you know, in uh, clause 15 and 19, it tells you that yes, there are local communities, local languages, and they should be taught in the school, you know, up to a certain age. And this is, it recognizes that you are there. But this is never entered the political process. That's why, and uh, you know, they say that there are minorities. That's why in my book, in, I've argued that 
minority in this sense becomes like what is called the, the ban, a kind of ban which is imposed by sovereign power. It includes you legally only to exclude you politically. Right. You see, for instance, in Iran, if you talk to anybody, even if, let's say, a foreign delegation, you know, goes to Iran, Iranian government say, oh, come on, Kurds, we don't have a Kurdish problem. You see, it is not Turkey, they would say, that Kurdish identity is denied or Arab identity or, or Azeri identity. We have said it in our constitution. Okay? This is it, that why I am very much against the very term minority. Yes, minority, you know, as I said, that it becomes a means of legal exclusion and political, you know, le legal inclusion, sorry, legal inclusion and yeah, political, political exclusion. exclusion. It only becomes correct in that respect when the recognition of his identities are followed by admission and recognition of uh, civil democratic rights of those community which would include, in part, uh, you know, recognition of their national identity. That would mean that they should never be called ethnic communities. They should be called national communities. National communities. Yes. Yeah. But uh, um, I know it would be uh, outside of the topic of the book, but uh, we see that in the example of Turkey, uh, this even legal inclusion <coughs> yes. uh, did not happen, does not <coughs> happen. No, it hasn't happened, no. And uh, so, like, the, the uh, mechanism of domination is not always this exclusion by the inclusion. No, no, it isn't. You see, exclusion and inclusion by, you know, in, uh, exclusion by inclusion is one degree better than total exclusion, which is uh, basically assimilation. But we still have basis. resistance there. Yes, yes, of course it will. The dialectics will be functioning. Yes, right, yes. right. I want maybe conclude this episode uh, to talk a little bit about the Kurdish society in Rojhalat, in Iranian Kurdistan, in today's unit, right now. Because you mentioned the emergence of, uh, the, the re-emergence of the Kurdish question yes. in Iran. You see, this is the point that in situation like this, when, you know, this is a suppressed identity, suppressed community, uh, as soon as, you know, this, uh, you know, uh, there is a rupture in the structure of domination, you know, then this rupture would mean that uh, power you know, has ruptured, and from this rupture, it is the other of power which is, you know, sort of uh, emerging. The courage and the excluded. Yes, and because here, you know, the when other emerges, other doesn't emerge as a minority here, as other emerges as a community, mm -hmm. as a force which is demanding rights. In fact, uh, the concept of minority very much is related to this process of othering of the non-sovereign. When the structure of sovereign domination, it, you know, ruptures, then it's going to come up, you see. 
it's going to come. My idea that uh, I pursue in a different, you know, uh, sort of uh, uh, study, coming back to this uh, non-sovereign forms of rule that the Kurds want, either it is in the form of, uh, you know, regional, region, regional autonomy in the context of uh, a federal state in Iran, uh, or it's the democratic confederalism of uh, Rojava, you see. Uh, this general argument that is put forward is this, uh, it is not going to go away. And that is the interiority of, uh, you know, uh, suppression to the suppression of the other, interiority of the other to the structure of the sovereign domination. We are interior to this because right. our suppression, suppression of Kurdish community is an essential requirement of consolidation of sovereign identity. If that is suppressed, it can exist. If that explodes, it's going to come out. Okay. Right. Now, this argument of interiority important in that respect that insofar as non-sovereign forms of rule are concerned, we are facing two possibilities. And uh, this possibility, one of them is that we, re we are in, in situation one. We, re in order to stick our claims and have our own, you know, that democratic autonomy, you need, above all, a very powerful democratic opposition in the country, you know, non-Kurdish democratic, let's say, a very powerful Turkish or Iranian democratic opposition to sovereign power. It is so democratic that it is prepared to accept Kurdish demands in a common, you know, sort of uh, ground, in common sort of, uh, if you like, field, and uh, come up with a common program so that can include this democratic autonomy in it. This is one, one, one way of it. In this respect, you may we may get somewhere, even with the sovereign power being there and the structure of domination is not exploded or imploded, but it is kind of dampened down because okay. of this existence of this democratic opposition. But the next one is that for the Kurds is the situation where the structure of domination, ex, you know, sort of ruptures and there is no barrier or hindrance to the reemergence of the non-sovereign others, including the Kurds or especially the Kurds, like the case of Rojava. Right. Now, the Rojava case would depend fundamentally on this, the outcome. What would the powers would decide in order to create in. And if the powers decide to create another centralized, ethnically based, you know, sort of... And the uh, power, by the power you mean the nation state's power or I like all the... I think at the moment, Syria is not in a, in a situation where you can call on national forces there. But here really, fundamentally, in, in case of Rojava would be political... Uh, 
negotiations and bargaining between external forces, primarily the United States of America and Russia. Russia. Of course, Israel on the other side, Turkey is on this side, Iran and Saudi Arabia will, will, will try to push their interest. But uh, the fundamental, uh, you know, sort of elements of political uh, machination and calculations creating a new structure in Syria will be uh, will be agreed upon by the two you know and of course EU is also there but never as uh, primary yeah so just uh, I have to ask this question maybe very final question uh, it is uh, a, it would be a theoretical question but I wonder if in your book you also uh, if you also mention the uh, internal struggles within Kurdish community, the class struggle, the gender yes, struggle, yes, and how this affects... And quite, a, quite a large part of the analysis is uh, related to the uh, sort of changes in the structures of the classes, their interests and their relationship with sovereign power and their attitude towards Kurdish nationalism, ethnicity, and so on. For instance, uh, I think uh, the fundamental uh, you know, problem here is the impact of uh, royal reforms, you know, fund, but mainly the land reform. Which happened in 1952. Yes, 1962. 1962, yeah. okay. A royal reform. And uh, subsequently, the. Which was called White Revolution. Yes. White Revolution, I think the left is very. The Iranian and Kurdish left are uh, very unrealistic to consider this as insignificant. I think White Revolution, both in terms of. Uh, you know, distribution of land, and it is impact on the class structure of the commu uh, community, in particular, rural community, and also the which led to the change in the relationship between landowning class and mercantile community, also the merchant capital. So that is one side of it. The other one is significant increase. The level of literacy, and uh, in Kurdistan, and uh, upshot of all this is uh, a immense uh, expansion in the ranks of modern and traditional petty bourgeoisie, in uh, you know which was and is and for quite some time will be the main stay of uh, nationalist politics in. Iranian uh, very much looking forward to uh, reading it, uh, Professor Lavelli. And it's gonna come out in June. From they are trying to come bring it out in in for June, because uh, it it you know because there is a conference in London, and uh, they want to have the book launch in that conference, international third international congress conference of Kurdish studies. So this is uh, what Kamran and others are trying to to push the publishers. Instead of middle of June, 
you know, bring it out sooner so that it will be ready there. So, uh, and the publisher is quite open to this, and they said they will try to do their best to make it, uh, you know, to publish it and make it ready before the end of May. But we shall see. Perfect. Thank yes. you very much again for Thank being you. on this podcast. Thank you. Let me finish this episode with uh, an instrumental piece uh, from the Kurdish composer Dilshad Said, uh, which is based on a Kurdish uh, folklore song called Meli Meli. Mm-hmm.